Now let's think about best fit customers. Who's my best fit target customer? Well, by definition, these are the people that care the most about the value that I can deliver that the other guys can't. So I can't figure out who my best fit target customers are without understanding what my differentiated value is. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got April Dunford with us, and we're going to be talking about nailing your sales positioning. So uh, welcome to the show, April. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And by way of introduction, April is the founder and chief strategist for Ambient Strategy. She's also the author of Obviously Awesome. It's a, a book about nailing product positioning, which is what we're talking about today. And April has held various roles in startups. She's been the CEO, the COO, the VP of marketing, and the VP of sales. Um, she's now transitioned and doing her own consulting work, and she specializes in helping B2B tech companies find their positioning strategies and how, to, how they can get to market with more success, which is how I've run into her in, uh, in the world here. Um, so April, how exactly would you describe product positioning? Yeah, so positioning is funny because I'm the positioning consultant, right? And one of these slightly annoying things about being the positioning consultant is nobody really understands what positioning is. So in my opinion, um, it is a very misunderstood concept, even though it is a really, really fundamental, important marketing and sales concept. It's not a new concept. It's been around since the 80s. Um, but it's often um, misconstrued with other things. So often people will say, ah, positioning, that's the same thing as messaging, or um, it's the same thing as creating a tagline, or uh, my personal pet peeve is when people talk about brand positioning, um, which I really hate because I think there's branding and there's positioning, but those two things are actually completely separate things. In fact, most things that people confuse with positioning are actually things that you do with positioning once you have it. So if we're talking about messaging, if you say, April, go write me some copy for the homepage, I'd say, great, who's it for? And what's our value? Who do we compete with? And how do we win against those folks? Positioning defines those things. So my definition of positioning is that positioning defines how our product is a leader at delivering something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. It's a mouthful, um, but it's because positioning actually consists of a lot of different piece parts. And I guess uh, if, if that's positioning, tell me more about branding. How, how, are, how are those, what is, what is the definition of that to you? Yeah, so typically, and you know, marketers, we like to make up the definition of things. So, you know, if you ask five different people what positioning is, you'll get five different answers. Same thing with branding. So in the traditional sense, branding is kind of the sum total of how people sort of feel about your company. So branding is often done through the use of um, uh, colors and imagery and iconography and graphics and tone of voice. And, and so we taken together, we'll call that the brand. 
positioning again is an input to the brand. So if you know, if I'm a branding agency and you come to me and say, "Hey, I'd like to do some branding for my company," I'd say, "Well, that's great. Who does your company sell to? And what is your value? And what are you all about?" Because let's face it, the branding for a children's toy company is very different from the branding for a national bank. <laughs> and that's because it's different, different customers, different value that we're trying to get across and different things we're trying to embody in the branding, right? Positioning is an input to that. We have the fundamental set of things we need to understand before we can do branding, before we can do messaging, anything else. I need to know, who do you compete with? How are you different? What is the value that you can deliver to customers that none of your competitors can? Oh, by the way, who are those customers? You're not selling to everybody. So who are, who are these best fit customers you're trying to go after? And lastly, what is the market you're trying to win? These are the component pieces of positioning. I need to figure this out before I can do anything, before I can write messaging, before I can build content, before I can do sales strategy, before I can do branding. Can't do any of this stuff until I define that first. Is there an order you go through trying to answer those questions in, or is that kind of one white whiteboarding session where you sit the sales team and the marketing team and the, the executives of the company down to kind of, how, how do you approach figuring this out? Oh, well, this is a really good question because when I started out in this, um, I thought, well, you know, positioning is this fundamental marketing thing. We must know how to do this, right? And so there's, there's a really famous book that everybody reads. It's called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind by these guys, Reason Trout, written in 1982, before the internet even <laughs> existed. So, um, and these guys do a great job in that book of defining, here's what positioning is, here's why it's really important. Um, they give a bunch of case studies of things, and the case studies are all over the place, like Avis versus Hertz, and they reposition the country of Jamaica. So all kinds of examples. Nowhere in this book does it tell you how to actually get it done. So um, when I was early in my career, I had done a bunch of positioning work on a handful of different products. And I found this so frustrating that we were just kind of making, our, making it up as we went along when we went to do positioning. So I decided I was going to solve that problem. So the way I went about it is this. Okay. Positioning is made up of a set of component pieces, which I mentioned before, competitive alternatives, unique capabilities, value we can deliver for customers. Who are those customers? So customer segmentation. And the last one is market category. Am I email or am I chat? Like, what am I? So those are the five things. And so the way I figured it out is, look, if we want to do positioning, we should be able to break it down into component pieces. I'll solve for what the best answers are for each of these things, match it together, and voila, good positioning. But here's what happens. When you start looking at those five component pieces, the first thing you realize is they're not independent. Like, they all depend on each other. So if I take anything out there, like, let's take value, right? The differentiated value, the value that I can deliver for customers that no one else out there can, where does it come from? It comes from my differentiated capabilities or my unique features. I can't think about one or the other. If I'm delivering software, it, all I got is features. Even if I'm a services business, I've got differentiated capabilities that I can do that the other guys can't. That's where my differentiated value comes from. So those two things are, you know, they're tied. I can't look at one independent of the other. But then think about this. I got differentiated capabilities. They are only differentiated if I compare them to a competitor. 
Otherwise, I don't know if they're different or not, right? So, so these things are, these all three of these things are connected. Now let's think about best fit customers. Who's my best fit target customer? Well, by definition, these are the people that care the most about the value that I can deliver that the other guys can't. So I can't figure out who my best fit target customers are without understanding what my differentiated value is. And then the last one is market category. Well, and that's a little more esoteric, but if you think about it, your best market category to position your offering in is the market category that makes your differentiated value kind of obvious to the people that you're trying to sell to. So I can't figure that out without knowing value and customer segmentation. So everything relates to everything else. How do I actually figure this out? I need to do it in a very specific order. And where I ultimately landed in my methodology is we have to start with competitive alternatives. If we don't start there, what we end up with is positioning that sounds good, sounds good in the office. It just doesn't win out in the market because it doesn't win against competitors. So I actually have to flow through it in a very specific order. I'm like, okay, first step, who do I got to be in order to win a deal? So these are my competitive alternatives. Now, that's not just competitors. Like in software, a lot of times I'm fighting against status quo and status quo is like, I could use a spreadsheet for this. I could hire an intern to get this done. So sometimes I'm fighting against that. And then if the company says, you know what? I can't use the intern anymore to do this. I got I to gotta get some real software to do this. What are they going to do? They'll make a short list. I got to beat everybody on the short list too. So the first step is competitive alternatives. Who do I got to beat in order to win a deal? Next step, I can say, all right, capabilities wise, what do I got that the competitors don't have? Capabilities wise, like feature function, if it's software, if I'm services, it's like, what can we do that the other folks can't? So usually we can fill a whiteboard full of this stuff. Here's my differentiated capabilities. Once I have that, then I can say, all right, I got all these capabilities, so what? So I can go down that list of capabilities and say, oh, you got a 50 megapixel camera. So what? Why does a customer care about that? How does that help a customer's business make money or save money? And I can translate these features to value. And ideally, I end up with two or three value themes. And so I'm like, I can deliver this. Here are the features that let me do that. Um, then once I have that, I can say, all right, well, I can go sell this to anybody that has this problem, but certain customers care more about that differentiated value than others. And so you wanna ask yourself, what are the characteristics of a target account that make them a really good fit for the product we've got? Cause they really care about this value. That's how I get to my definition of a good fit customer. And then once I have that, I can lean back and say, all right, I got this value. I'm trying to communicate it to these people. What am I? Am I email or am I chat? Am I a database or am I a business intelligence tool? Am I a robot or am I a self-driving car? And so we need to be able to answer that question. Like, how do I contextualize what we do in a way that makes my value obvious? So that's how you get it done. You break it apart into pieces. You work through the pieces in a very specific order. Now, the last thing I'll add about this is if you're doing an exercise like this, 
this is not something that sales gets to just do on their own. At least it shouldn't be. Um, and sometimes what you'll see in companies is marketing tries to do this on their own. And this is a very, very bad idea for a lot of reasons. First of all, marketing has no clue what you have to beat in order to get a deal. Sales knows that. And so, but when we get to this point of, okay, here's who we have to beat to get a deal. What are our, what are our differentiated capabilities? Well, typically your product team deeply understands that. So if, and then when we get to value, marketing has a lot to say about that because they live in the world of value propositions. Um, so typically, if we're going to do this kind of positioning work, it's a cross-functional exercise. So in the work I do as a consultant, we bring together the whole executive team and I need sales, marketing, product, customer success. I need the CEO in the room and we got to all agree on here's what we compete with. Here's how we're different. This is how we're going to win. Here's the customers we're going after so that we can all be pulling in the same direction and we're all telling the same story. So in my opinion, that's how it's got to work. Sales has a really important job to play in this, both in terms of figuring out the positioning, as well as there, you know, essentially sales is, besides marketing, is essentially the front line of where this positioning gets communicated to customers. So sales better be involved, sales better, better get it, sales better believe in the story. If not, um, you know, we're gonna have problems. And, and just to set people's expectations, how long does this process, this exercise of figuring out who your com competitors are, how, you know, who, who do you have to beat to win the deal? What, what features and capabilities are unique? Who, who are the customers going to be? And who do we folk, who are, who's buying from us and what, what value are they getting? What do you, what, uh, what market are you trying to win in? Those six questions or five questions, how, how do you, how long does it take the right people in the room to answer those questions and then all agree on it in your experience. Now, here's the thing. If I got a product in market right now and I'm selling it right now, um, each of those questions are easily answered if I've got the right people in the room. So if I go to the sales team and say, what's status quo in an account? Like what are they doing before they use ourself, our stuff? Sales knows the answer to that question. Of course they do. They're talking to customers every day. If I say, who else ends up on a short list? Sales knows the answer to that question. They wouldn't be doing their job very well if they didn't. They absolutely know the answer to that question. When I get to the next step and you say, okay, well, you know, what do we got that's different? Product knows the answer to that question. So the key is to get the right people in the room. You got the right people in the room. Like the workshops that I do are two and a half days. Uh, if we do it virtually, we spread it out over a week, but... Um, we can get it done in a few days, assuming I've got the right people and assuming we've done enough business out in the market to kind of know the answers to these questions. Two and a half days. So what's, what's the end product look like when, when, when a company does this exercise, this positioning yeah. exercise, what is the, what is the end result? What is, what, what's a, a great example of great positioning in your opinion? Like, can you get, what's give us a apple or coca-cola or something that, that everybody knows what's <laughs> yep, like what, what would the result of that exercise be for a company like that right so uh so first of all um when you're doing an exercise like this um there, there's two things that you're that you're working towards to have as an output of this exercise so the first one is agreement and alignment across the executive team 
So most weak positioning comes from marketing thinks the value is this, but sales thinks it's this. So you bring customers in and the leads think they're getting this, but then when they talk to the salesperson, the salesperson says something else. Product meanwhile is off building something else and they think we're really good at this, that, or the other thing, but that doesn't match the story that's happening in marketing or sales. And this is where bad positioning comes from. So the biggest thing you're gonna get out of doing this thing is agreement and alignment across the team so that we are all we're singing the same song, telling the same story from product to marketing, to sales, to customer success, it's all the same story. So consistency is really, really important. Um, second thing is uh, um, uh, in terms of an output, so that's the first thing, right? Like we're all in agreement on the component pieces of positioning. We all agree who we're competing with, how we win, where we're going to win, all that stuff. The second piece is everybody needs to know how to tell the story. And what I mean by telling the story is not, um, it's not the same as your investor pitch. It's not the same as your pitch you give a potential employee. Why would you want to join us? Like, this is actually a sales story. Like, what is the story? I If I was sitting across from a prospect that knows a little bit about my stuff, but comes in and says, what are you guys all about? Everyone in the company should be able to, at some level, to tell this customer-facing sales story. So in the work I do with clients, we work on what I would call a sales narrative. It's not exactly the same as a sales pitch because, you know, depending on your sales methodology or how you like to pitch things or whatever. Um, but it is certainly a very good starting point for one. So it's how you tell the story of, look, this is how we define the problem. These are all the different ways you could solve the problem. But my God, there's a gap here. And this is a gap that for customers like you is super important and only we can solve it. And here's how we do it. Here's the proof we can do it. And you should buy some. <laughs> this is how the story works. So we're essentially crafting that story. Now, the goal of that story is it clearly differentiates you from the other alternatives in the market. It makes your differentiated value very, very clear, particularly for your best fit customers and at the end, should leave them going, wow, this thing is amazing. I should slap down some money and buy some. <laughs> so that's what it is. Now, the interesting part is if we're talking about business to business software, which is, which is the world where I work, I don't do consumer stuff. So in business to business software, you often can't tell unless you're a buyer for that software, you often can't tell from the outside whether the positioning is very good or very bad. The proof is in the pudding. Like, can they sell it? Are they selling? Does it differentiate well from everyone else? And unless you're in the middle of a buying process, you don't know. Like, so this is a problem. We often look at other people's website and say, oh, this looks so good. This sounds so good. You don't know whether that's good positioning or not. So in the companies that I work with, um, it, it, you know, our, our uh, grade on whether or not the positioning is really good is all about what happens in a sales meeting. Like, did we get the right customer in the door? Once we did get the right customer in the door, did we position the product in a way that got them excited and motivated to buy? So in the, com in the companies I work with, generally good positioning is just a way for the company to make this really clear distinction. 
So if I take an example, um, well, I'll give you one that's kind of a salesy one. So there's a, there's a company that I worked with um, called Level Jump Software. And they're in the sales enablement space. And I'm telling you, that is a terrible space. There are so many companies in the sales enablement space. If you look at the G2 crowd graph for sales enablement, it's a disaster. There's like 100 companies in there. Mm -hmm. They're one of those 100. And so if you looked at their positioning before we worked together, it was like, you know, we do sales enablement software. We're going to help get your sales reps trained. Right, right. <laughs> they look like everybody else. And so we did this workshop where we started out with, okay, well, who do you compete with? Now, in their case, all the other sales enablement tools, like the, the way people are solving that problem, they kind of fit in the three buckets. Like either you're not using purpose-built software at all. Like you just got a Google Drive or something and you're putting some materials up on a drive. That's where everyone starts with little wee company. Then they get more sophistication. Sometimes you'll see companies essentially use a CMS. Like, you know, so I can do version control. I make sure you're getting the right version of the sales training materials. Problem with this is I can't tell whether you use the materials or not. Like if I say, hey, you have to do this thing, I don't know. So some of them then graduate to like a full-blown LMS, which is learning management system, like full-blown, you know, so I can give you a course and certify you and I can tell whether or not you took the course. Now, let's go back to my level jump guys. That's their competition, right? Just put some stuff on a drive, CMSs, LMSs. What do they got that the competition doesn't have? Well, let me tell you. They got a bunch of data that nobody else has. So their stuff is built native inside of Salesforce. And so they have access to Salesforce data and they can see the relationship between the training and your sales metrics. Okay, that's cool. So what, what's the value of that? Well, the value of that is they are the only sales enablement platform that can tell you whether or not your sales enablement is actually working. And by working, I mean moving some metrics in sales. Did it decrease the time the first deal? Did it decrease the time for the rep to get to quota? All that stuff that we care about. This is why we're doing sales enablement in the first place. So who cares a lot about that? Well, if you're a company that's hiring a lot of new sales reps, fast growing company with a lot of new sales reps coming on board, you care a lot about that because every day your reps not making quotas costing you money. So then is it so that so now if I go to do the pitch on this, the new pitch is, hey, and they sell to like the head of sales enablement at a fast growing tech company. So they go into the head of sales enablement and it says, hey, head of sales enablement, uh, Sales enablement is pretty important, right? That's why they got you here. And, and it's pretty important because every day your rep's not making quota cost you money, right? Yeah, right, it does. Well, we know a lot about this because we're in this space. And what we see is people are solving this problem in one of these ways. Like maybe they put some stuff on drive, but you don't know who used what, or you use the CMS, or you use whatever, or you use an LMS. You know what none of these things do? None of these things let you measure whether or not the stuff is working with sales metrics. Like in a perfect world, if we really wanted to do sales enablement right, we'd want to be able to measure whether or not it's working, right? Now at this point in the narrative, if you say, right, I got you because I'm the only game in town. <laughs> so you say, right, and I say, good. That's what we believe, this is what we got. Here's our value, you know, we can help you measure time to first deal, time to whatever. Here's how we do it. 
here's all my happy customers, please buy some. So in my opinion, like really good, strong positioning clearly differentiates you from everyone else, even if you're in a really crowded market, even if you know you don't have a thousand features that differentiate you, but if you have a few key ones, we can build a story around that that makes it clear when a customer should buy you. That makes a ton of sense to me. And that's certainly something that, uh, you know, we've, we've struggled with is, uh, you know, because we're, we're effectively a sales enablement software as well, right? Like we help sales teams yeah. be a little better. That's right. That. And, you know, it, it, at this but one in area. A way in a different, it's a, it's a. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally different way. Different problem that you're solving. Yeah. Different pro problem than what you're talking about, but like still it's that's the right. same concept where it's like you, we do have to get, that that's a part of our sales process is to like, you know, get people to a point where they see the value in, in having a piece of a product like ours um, in place. And then uh, I guess after we're able to get that differentiation, the next step for us is getting, it, it, once you've shown them, okay, you'll get this and you can't get that other places. Then the next step is figuring out how much, how valuable that would be to them like quantifying it from a, in a dollar's perspective, like, yeah. and if you were to get that, it would be worth this much money to you. That's right. Yeah. So my example, the other one, like they do this great job of showing like, you know, how much does it actually cost you? So they've got a bunch of metrics on their typical customer can reduce the time to ramp by like three and a half months or something. And so then they do this you know, calculation where it's like, what's three and a half months of ramp time actually cost you? Then then that's per rep. And then let's multiply that out by the number of open rep, open headcount you have right now. And the reps mm -hmm. are going to hire this year. And it's a lot of money. It makes them look pretty cheap. Yeah. Tremendous. And that's actually a not lot to of mention, it. not to mention, there's also like the, the, there's the dollar and cents value. And then there's also, I'm pitching to the head of sales enablement, right? So there's value to the head of sales enablement to be able to defend their job by saying, look, <laughs> I did yeah. this thing and it worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas if they don't have that, they have this problem. They got to fight for their job, right? Things aren't going so well. And people will be looking at you going, does any of this stuff work? Did it do anything? <laughs> and you got no way to prove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, well, the end user of our product is the field salesperson, right? And that's the person who really gets a lot of value, but we're often selling to that head of sales enablement or the VP of sales or whatever. And they're all, they're super interested in like their reporting tools. Like how do we tell what, how, what can I lift out of this and put in an email to the CEO and, and say, see, look, we're doing, you know, this action that I took makes us do, do better. Right. Uh, so we, we've built a bunch of stuff around that just because of this, because that's what, they often really care about that, like, you know, the, the proof, proof that it actually did stuff is, is as opposed to doing, and, and we, we, we've had to make decisions along that too. It's like, well, next we can make another thing that does useful things for the person you're actually using the product, or we could build a piece of, we could build a feature which better shows the person that's buying it, how useful it was. <laughs> it's a, it's a funny thing. So tell me uh, what, what is the benefit to really nailing your positioning? Why, why is this so important? So there's a handful of things like, um, you know, some people will ask me like, you know, is there a metric? Like if you're, if your positioning's bad versus good, what's the metric I would track? And like, here's the insidious thing about weak positioning, like weak positioning kills you all the way across your funnel. 
like all the way across. It's bad everywhere. So you'll get this thing that, you know, it's really hard to generate a lead because people can't figure out what you do or why it's valuable or whether or not it's for them. So, you know, you have this really hard time getting things into your funnel. And then even when a lead comes in, you have a hard time getting it to getting it to move along because you'll see this, this problem um, really clearly in first sales meetings that the weak positioning often looks like this, you know, the rep comes in, they do this great job, they pitch it, it sounds great. And the customer's like, pitch it to me again, you know, <laughs> like they right. just don't get it. Or worse, they'll be like, so you're just like Salesforce. And you'll be like, oh God, no, we're nothing like Salesforce. <laughs> Why would you confuse that? And then you're like, no, we're not that. You know, and I got to back up and say, no, no, we're not that at all. No, we're, no, we're not. Have you even been listening? <laughs> like, yeah, right. And, uh, or they'll, or even worse, this is almost the worst one where they'll say, Oh yeah, I get it. I get it. I totally get what you do. You're this, that, the other thing. I just, I don't get why anybody would pay for that. So they get what you are, why are we here? They see what they just don't get the value. They, they're like, yeah, I get what it is. I just, I would never pay money for that. And so weak positioning shows up there. Sometimes you've got this thing, and I've seen this in some organizations where they've actually got really good, like they've got like superstar salespeople that manage to get these deals over the line anyway, even though the positioning is really weak. But then what you get is churn because customers get in, they get used to the thing and they're like, oh, I thought this was like Salesforce, but it's some other thing, it was crap. <laughs> and then they just churn on you and they're out. So your metrics are bad all across. When the positioning's working really good, it feels like, oh, we're just rolling down the hill. Everything's easier, right? It's easier getting a lead in the front door because everybody understands your positioning on the website. They understand what you do. They understand what it's valuable. They come in, they already want the stuff. Sales shows up to the first meeting and they're like, yeah, 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 we get it already. Just tell me how much it costs, you know? And so it's easier to close a deal. The deals close faster. They understand the value. They're not asking for discounts as much. We don't get as much churn on the back end because what they got is exactly what they were promised. And so they're just rolling along and everything's good. So generally what we see, you know, weak positioning versus strong positioning is this just real acceleration across the, across the entire customer journey. Like everything just works easier and better. So like I have an example of a company where I worked at where um, we had been, this is years ago when Salesforce was still um, selling at the low end of the market only. And I worked at a company where we were selling enterprise CRM. And at the time there was this big company in the Valley called Siebel and they were the, they were the, the giant in enterprise CRM. And we kind of came into the market, we're positioned exactly the same, which is stupid. So, <laughs> you know, like every time we got into a sales meeting with a customer, we'd say, hey, we do enterprise CRM. And they'd say, oh, that's great. How are you better than Siebel? And we'd say, well, kind of weren't, right? Like they were, <laughs> they're 2 billion revenue. We're like less than 2 million. They got 8,000 employees. I'm employee 24, right? Like they've got, 400 customers, we have five or six, you know, like, we're not, but what we had was we had this feature and it was really unique and they didn't, they didn't have it and they couldn't copy it. And so we always showed it in the demo too, because it looked really good. So we had a sales meeting, we show it and customers go, Ooh, that looks cool. And, but what we didn't understand was the value. So we knew the competitor, we knew our differentiated feature, 
but we had no idea why this was valuable for customers. So we'd show the feature and the customers would say, hey, that's cool. What do you use that for? And we'd say, anything you want. (laughs) (laughs) Customer would go, huh, what else you got? And we'd discount the price. Occasionally we'd get a deal just because we were so cheap. But what what broke this for us was um, eventually uh, we landed a deal where we got a meeting and landed a deal with um, with a big investment bank. And so how this came about was we actually hired a new sales rep. And the reason we hired the guy was in the interview, the guy said, my CEO said, well, why should we hire you? And the, and the guy says, you should hire me because my buddy's the head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs and I'm going to get a meeting with him. And we we're like, okay. <laughs> so we hired the guy, we get the meeting at Goldman Sachs. And that when we showed this feature to the guy at Goldman Sachs, he got really excited. And, it, and then we learned this bit that it turned out that this thing we could do with this feature was actually super, super cool if you were an investment banker. So we closed the deal with Goldman Sachs. Everybody's happy. Uh, we get a bunch more meetings with other investment banks. All of a sudden, we're selling really well. Um, what we decided eventually was, hey, maybe we're not enterprise CRM. Maybe what we are is CRM for investment banks. And we decided to reposition with the idea that, you know, it would be easy for an investment bank to come and find us. We would be clearly differentiated from this big competitor because we're not going after the whole market, just a chunk of it. And the way we looked at it was, you know, eventually we sell a bunch of investment banks and then we'll start selling to retail banks and then we'll sell to insurance. And when we're big, then we'll take the other guys out. But so we did this repositioning and the effect of that repositioning on the company was like amazing and immediate. So we went from 2 million revenue to a little under 80 million revenue in in, uh, about a year and a half. We sold so many deals, it was unbelievable. Um, and, And most of the deals, we would go in like where before we were always trying to say, why are you different than Siebel? And, you know, we'd go in and say, well, we're CRM for investment banks. And they'd say, hmm, CRM, like, so you guys compete with Siebel? And we'd say, oh, Siebel love those guys. We love them. They're amazing. Like what an amazing company. He's so big, so much money. They're like, they're the world's greatest general purpose CRM for like call centers, manufacturing plants and retailers and stuff. Not you, Wolf of Wall Street. What you need is something special. Let me show you this thing. (laughs) Show them the feature and we close the deal. So we kind of cut them out before they even got in. And um, the end of that story is they came and acquired us for $1.3 billion. And we all lived happily ever after. But (laughs) a switch in positioning can often feel like that. It can feel like, oh, everything's so hard. So hard to get a lead. So hard to get a deal. So hard to get anything closed to like you know, everything's just flying and then all of a sudden it feels like we're cheating everything so easy. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. The, and, and often the, you know, verticalizing and specializing a, a product and going after that exact group can, you know, it gets all the oars hitting the water at the same time and pulling with the same strength and you really start humming, Absolutely. humming in the water. I don't you know? think companies think about this enough, right? Like, like who exactly is a best fit customer for our stuff? And often it's not as easy as just saying, oh, it's it banks, right? Often, often the, the, you know, the set of criteria is a bunch of things, right? It's, it's a company bigger than this, but smaller than this, that also uses this software that also has this thing, you know, like my previous example of the folks that did the, um, 
sales enablement software, like their criteria is very specific, you know, and it's, it's fast growing companies. They'll go and do research on them. Like if they have, you know, more than this many open headcount in sales, but a sales team bigger than this, and they have a head of sales enablement, like it, it's got to tick a bunch of boxes. It's not necessarily a vertical, but it's, if they tick all these boxes, we know we can sell. So we're not going to waste our time trying to sell into accounts that aren't a great fit when we could just focus on these ones that we know are going to be a really good fit for the value we can deliver. Yeah. That's a, a great way to think about it. What, what, what about for salespeople? What role does sales play in positioning specifically? How, and how can sales do a better job of ensuring that a product has a strong position in a marketplace? Yeah. So in my opinion, like where this stuff breaks down in sales is when there just isn't enough communication between marketing product and sales about what the positioning could be. Like, in my opinion, sales is going to position the product whatever way makes it easiest to sell. <laughs> because that's what, at the end of the day, that's what they're trying to do. And so sometimes if, you know, if they're not tightly in sync with product and marketing, sometimes they're, you know, they're overselling what the product can actually do because, you know, they're making up a story that sounds better than actual reality. Most of the time that's not on purpose. It's because, you know, they, you know, they aren't getting good stuff from marketing so you know they got they're kind of on their own so in my opinion marketing and sales need to actually be really closely um, aligned so that marketing understands what sales is selling and sales understands what marketing is marketing and that these things are the same ideally we've got product in there too so that you know we're not marketing and selling something that isn't actually reality because that's a recipe for churn um, so I think a good sales, you know, good sales leaders and good sales reps, you know, have their friends in marketing and product, and they're making sure that they're meeting regularly to make sure like, you know, this thing, you know, we're doing the best possible job of positioning this thing, because we are kind of the front lines of how people understand what these products are all about. Well, and, and what if you're a salesperson listening to the show right now and saying, yeah, this this sounds like us. It sounds like our positioning isn't really aligned across our company. Um, what, what, what are the, what should they do? What would you recommend as a, as a sales team or a salesperson? What is, what is your role here? How can you get people to take a look at this and, and kind of rethink it? Yeah, typically like in most of the companies that I work with, typically like nobody owns positioning because it's kind of a group thing, right? The entire executive team owns positioning. We all own positioning inside the company, but there's usually a group that is like the steward of positioning. Like they kind of like, if we're going to get together and do a, a meeting to talk about this stuff, typically it's marketing that drives that. Sometimes it's product that drives it. Um, so, but sales has an awful lot of power in this. Like if sales goes to marketing and says, you know what? I don't, I think this positioning is crap and it doesn't sell out there. <laughs> or, you know, if sales comes in and says, I don't think it's working. I think it's mushy. Like, when I get into a meeting, people don't get what we are. When I get into a meeting, people compare us to competitors we don't actually compete with. When I get into a meeting, they tell me this stuff is good, but they wouldn't pay money for it. Like, help me out here. And so if sales agitates about that, 
that particularly to marketing, or if you, you know, if you want to be really expeditious about it, you go straight to the CEO and say, I don't think, I think this positioning is lousy. I don't think we really understand how we are different and better than the alternatives out in the market. And so what you need to do is just spark that thinking. And then how it gets done is, you know, you need to get a cross-functional team together. Somebody needs to drive that effort and it needs to be done with a process. We can't just get in a room and fight it out and whoever's got the loudest voice wins. We need to go in and follow a process and a methodology that's going to get us to the right place. And so typically that effort would be driven either by the CEO, like a lot of the work I do, I get the call from the CEO and the CEO says, you know what? I don't think we're telling this story right. Um, and they bring me in to help facilitate that, you know, or it's the head of marketing that says, all right, we need to assemble this cross-functional team. We need to get product and sales and the executives together in a room and we need to work through this process. So, you know, I think sales has a lot of power to put their hand up and say, look, I'm on the front line of this every day and people don't get what we do. People don't get the value of what we do. They don't get how we're different from competitors and we need to sharpen this stuff up. And other than uh, misalignment, I guess we talked about, what, what are some other common mistakes that sales teams make when it comes to positioning or companies make even when it comes to positioning? Yeah, like, like the most common mistake is they don't think about it deliberately. And so often if they don't deliberately think about it, then what you have is they're kind of not positioning. Like you'll see this a lot. I see this a lot in startups where the sales pitch is just a, it's, it's just a wind tunnel of features. It's like, welcome to my sales pitch. Here's a feature. 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 Customer gets to the end of it and they're like, I don't know. Do the other guys do that too? I don't know. What good are these features? I don't know. And, and they're just doing these demos that are just like, okay, we log in and here's how we create a new account and here's how we do a thing. And it's like, what do I do with that? <laughs> the customer. So, and you'll see it, you'll see it on the marketing side too. I don't mean to pick on sales. Like the, you know, the website looks like that. The customer's coming in and they'll, you know, so, and a lot of technical companies, if it's software, do that. Like they're just talking about features. They're not actually really trying to position against anything for anything. So that's the most common thing I see is they just, and so what happens then, we are essentially putting the burden on the customer. Customer's got to figure it out. So the customer sits there and goes, hmm, I get it. You're like crappy Salesforce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, fine. Next. So if we don't, we don't help customers out and we make them do it, well, we don't, we might not like what they come up with. So that's the most common thing I see is we're just not even attempting to position ourselves in the market. We're just hoping the customers figure it out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I remember early in, in our company's history, we went through this exact exercise and the, the result, like the website was too featurey and, and I think a good exercise for people to go through is to say, what if I were to have a separate page on my website page called features that you could click in on the top and it would take you to all the features and you put everything that's a feature over there and what's left on your homepage and you, and you got to find <laughs> it out sometimes is the actual values that, that you create. Right. And so now when you land on our homepage, it like focuses on the values of you know, what a customer would get from us. And then we have another, another page called features where it shows you, oh, and here's how yeah. that actually here's does how that. we do it. 
that, that's how we were able to kind of tease that apart uh, early on in our history. But, but it's still like it's still like that. We've never changed that. Like we, we you know, it's we've just kind of kept adding to the features page and adding to the values page. But that that's how we break it apart. Um, so I guess. Uh, do you have an example of like really weak positioning? I mean, you gave you gave the one that you worked at, but like one that we all would know. Like, who, who do you think does a crappy job of this? And, oh, and... come on! <laughs> it, you know, like, 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 let me tell you, it, companies don't survive very long with really bad positioning. Like, if it's really bad, like I see a lot of really weak positioning in startups, and these are startups that aren't going to last long, and so they're either going to figure it out and and change the positioning. Or they're going to cease to exist. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know, most of the companies I see don't have really lousy positioning. What they've got is weak positioning. Like it's it could be better, right? And so they're managing to be successful, kind of in spite of themselves. But you know, imagine if you could really tighten this up, how much better it would be. Most of the time, you've got that. If the company's making money and they're doing whatever, like they're they're managing to get deals done, like it's not a disaster. Um, but a lot of times what you've got is just this weakness again, like we're saying one thing on the web page, then we get to the demo and it's something different, you know, customers are confused. It's not clear exactly what we do. Like customers got to do a lot of work before a deal happens. Um, it's mainly, it looks like that. Well, let's move and on. Again, to you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to often know that looking from the outside, you'd have to be in the actual purchase process to feel how bad it is. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Well, but well, yeah, like there's some companies out there that I, you know, that like, uh, like Magic Leap, I have always thought like that is a company that seems to have this amazing technology. They've raised this incredible amount of money and I have no clue what that is. Like I'm none, absolutely none. Like, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, yeah, none. But, you know, but maybe I'm not the target market. I have no idea, but I suspect that positioning is terrible. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, April. Well, I'm going to try to summarize um, everything that you've talked about here. First of all, positioning defines how our product is a leader at something that our well-defined customers care about. To break this down, a company should decide on these things to create and build out their positioning. One, who are your competitors? Two, what makes your product or service unique to your customers? Three, what's your value that your customers get from your product or service? Four, who are your ideal customers? And five, what market are you in? It's so important that sales, marketing, and product all work together to agree on positioning. And the executives should be in the room when this is happening. Everybody needs to come to an agreement. Great positioning has alignment across all teams. And every team needs to know how to tell the sales narrative. Strong positioning clearly differentiates you from your competitors, even if you're in a crowded space or a highly competitive space. Weak positioning will hurt you across your entire sales funnel. When your position is really good, it's easier and faster to close deals and there's less churn. Companies should consider repositioning if they uncover a unique value that helps them sell even better.
Well, well, that's this is fantastic, April. What, where can our listeners read more about your work? How can they reach out to you? Uh, should they want to go deeper here? Yeah, so so a couple of places. Um, like, if you're interested in positioning, you just want to learn more about it. Um, uh, I wrote a book, and, and the, the purpose of the book is to kind of again lay out a methodology for actually doing positioning. And so the book's called Obviously Awesome. And that's a good place, I think, to start if you're interested in learning more about this topic. Um, folks that think they have terrible positioning and want, want some help to work on it can go to my website, which is aprildunford.com. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. You can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. April, so much for coming on the show today. Um, it's been really a pleasure hearing, hearing from you here. This has been absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Take care until next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.